0: Hi, I'm Dr. Kimberly O'Brien, Principal Child Psychologist at the Quirky Q Clinic. It's a child psychology clinic as well as a publishing house with resources for parents and educators. We help parents to build their confidence in the strategies that they use at home to overcome common issues impacting children and adolescents. So for the past 20 years, I've been listening to lots of different stories and giving lots of different strategies, and I hope to do the same on this podcast to help you overcome the challenges that you're facing with your children and adolescents, today's topic is encopresis, with Monica Ferry, a toilet training educator. So encopresis
1: is where a a person has a build up of of poo, and I'm going to speak really bluntly and use words like that, so I hope that's okay. A build up of poo and as the poo builds up, their bowel stretches and stretches and stretches. So the rectum then loses sensitivity and it can't actually tell then when it when it's full of poo, when it needs to poo. And because of that loss of sensitivity and the poo becoming so impacted, poo slips out. So and it might be that it that's the trigger when a child first realizes that they actually need to have a poo is with that release of um a little bit of poo or um might be sort of fecal fluid so that that kind of just comes out
0: and that's the that's the clue for the child that they need to go and have a poo i can I'm just listening to that and th- hearing how comfortably you how comfortable we are in talking about it because when we see parents at the clinic, it's usually the complete opposite in that they feel quite embarrassed and maybe like it's something they hadn't spoken about before when it comes to encapresis.
1: Oh, completely. Yeah, completely. I remember actually a, um, a family that came to see us uh, about, and it, they actually came to see us about toilet training, uh, not toilet training, they came to see us about bedwetting and this was a little boy who was about 7 or 8 years old at school and part of of what we would do with a consultation about bedwetting is take a take a natural history so um in asking questions about the child's toileting habits one of the things that we would always ask is does the child have any issues with pooing and in in this particular case we had we had the mum and the dad and and the little boy and Ask that question. Does does the child have any issues with pooing And kind of the everyone in the room goes quiet, looks looks at each other with sort of anticipation. And finally, somebody says in in quite a almost whispered, "Well, well yes, actually, he does." So, what does that look like? Oh, um, he he poos himself regularly. Well, how how often? maybe three or four times a week. And how long has this been going on? Oh, since he was about three. So this poor little child has been going through the distress of pooing himself and at school for the last couple of years. So all of the distress that goes along with that. His parents are unbelievably distressed because no parent likes to see their child in distress and they don't, they haven't really known what to do about it and it's not something that that people spend a lot of time talking to each other about they think they're the only ones who have ever had a, had a child that has got something that's they kind of view as it's embarrassing because it it's distressing for them and they don't know what to do about it And there's no conversation, there's there's no kind of collegiate feel about, you know, I'm not the only one with this problem. There are loads of families with this problem. And if they talked about it, they would find there are um, loads
0: of occasions, loads of families where this is happening. Absolutely. It's interesting. I think parents are often, um, you know, comfortable looking it up on the internet. So that's our number one most popular um fact sheet and caprices on the quirky kid website and i've been contacted by a you know organization in the states to do a webinar about caprices because it could just be i'm not sure but there's been an increase definitely at the clinic with new referrals I, a lot of kids are doing things like being online and using you know their ipads and sort of forgetting to go to the toilet or having these accidents and then the parents are often there asking like is he doing it deliberately or is this like an act of defiance? Are they anxious about the toilet? Like what is going on? Because it's really impacting the parent-child relationship and it can also impact, you know, social social relationships at school because of the smell. Oh, certainly. So many different angles for this yeah. story. I think
1: it's not deliberate. I, I have not seen any child who is comfortable with pooing themselves. It is in our experience, about that, that lack of sensitivity that they have in their rectum so they actually can't control it and they don't know it's going to happen until it happens. And, and then it's the, all the, the trauma of, of having to deal with having, having the accident publicly. And for, for a little child, that's an enormous pressure to even anticipate, God, is that going to happen to me today and where am I going to be and who's going to notice and then having to deal with the with the outcome
0: of that as well. Absolutely. And interestingly, it also happens to older kids, so it can continue. We've had a 12-, 13-year-old at the clinic that was you know, transitioning from primary to secondary school, and, again, there's all this pressure around we have to get this under control. She was yep. wearing pull-ups. um well, actually, she was wearing pull-ups just to go to the toilet, so she felt like she needed that. She felt more comfortable using a pull-up than actually sitting on the toilet. So in her case, she was really anxious about being on the toilet, and we did things like, you know, cutting a hole. When she wasn't wearing the pull-up, we'd cut a hole in the in the base of it so that she could sit on the toilet and she could, you know, use the toilet in a conventional way, but she had the pull-up there just as security, and then over time she, you know, reduced that dependence on the pull-up. But it, it is quite individual, like that was one way of managing it for that client, but maybe you've got some other tips that you use for younger kids when it comes to um, getting on top of caprices.
1: So I think for 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 younger kids, where we know that there's been a history of constipation, getting the constipation dealt with rather than being concerned about the actual geography of the pooing at, at the beginning is is the way that we would recommend you focus because that physical problem of of constipation is one that in many cases goes on to become a lifelong problem so it's something that needs resolution and that that resolution is really about a couple of things that need to happen so we need to ensure that fluid intake is Really great because that's really important for uh, for constipation in young kids. And often we feed our kids up on fibre because we know that fibre is important. But the younger you are, the more important the fluid is, and the fibre without the fluid actually can be problematic. So we need we need good fluid. We also need our children to become comfortable with just sitting and you see kids like that sit on the toilet for about a second and then they and then they're off and they they're so busy doing things so encouraging children to sit and sit anywhere so this, this isn't just about being able to sit when you're in the toilet but actually being able to to stop and sit and be comfortable doing that and relaxed doing that is an important part of being able to toilet and poo properly because To poo, we actually need to relax. So you have to be able to sit to do that.
0: Absolutely. It sounds like the calm down kits that we um, get kids to put together, like a little shoebox full of like a lavender pillow or a favourite book or there's actually like another book that we recommend called um, 101 Things to Do While You Poo and there's you know origami with toilet paper, a whole bunch of different things you can do to kind of help kids to sit a bit longer.
1: And for older kids, that stuff becomes important because if we can get them to be relaxed and sit on the toilet, because it's often the last thing they want to be doing, there's there's a million other things that they'd rather be doing than sitting by themselves on the toilet waiting for a poo to arrive. Uh, But a program of sitting is often what a GP will recommend. So to sit half an hour after a meal, so half an hour after breakfast, lunch and and dinner just to have a sit no more than five minutes we would never be putting pressure on a child to sit for hours or half an hour or until they've until they've done something always about low pressure low stress five minutes max unless they're really happy to sit there and you know some kids are some kids will disappear with a book or an ipad into a toilet close the door and completely disappear. (laughs) But pooing is probably not what's on their mind when they're doing that. The other thing that a GP would recommend is laxatives. And for younger kids in particular, we would be looking for laxatives that are stool softeners, not laxatives that actually cause contractions of the bowel. Because the stool softeners, all they do is draw fluid back into poo. So it's all about making the poo slippery and, and soft. So that would be what the GPs would be seeking to have happening. And fluid intake and the laxatives go together and then that ability
0: to sit. And Monica, do you know how long kids should be taking laxatives for? I'm not sure whether you've heard different timeframes, but... I know in the States sometimes kids would be on laxatives for years at a time and I also I kind of think, you know, can we put some natural sorry or natural vegetable juice, banana smoothies, just anything to replace the laxatives if it's been quite long term use. But I'm not sure what the ideal is. What's your opinion on that? So if if we're talking stool softener laxatives,
1: which is certainly what parents should be making sure that their their little ones are taking, if they're taking laxatives. It's not unusual for kids to be on those for months because they are actually, been, they don't cause the bowel to contract. So they're not creating any muscle memory or anything like that. They're just simply putting fluid back into the poo. The other thing, which is heading down that more natural path, are things like olive oil. So it is like natural olive oil or organic olive oil is one of the things that some laxatives actually or stool softness have in them, for example. It's the laxatives that act on the bowel that I'd be more concerned about the length of time that a child was taking them.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, that sounds helpful. And um, also good for parents to consider having a review with their GP or paediatrician booked in once they do start taking those the appropriate laxatives because sometimes I'm thinking it's time for a review because, you know, it might not, might not go well because it's come to, sometimes we'll have a huge bowel movement in the bath when, you know, yeah. they expect to they haven't really mastered how much or like, you know, the dose of the laxative and um, that can be then more traumatic. So I think like having a review booked in will then allow the parent to feel, you know, comfortable to access extra advice rather than having to wait another six weeks and not sure whether to continue or not. So yeah, just having that accessibility to the GP or the paediatrician who's, um, you know, who's managing the situation um, is really helpful for psychologists as well to put in a call and give some feedback and to and to work together as a team. I think is also key.
1: Yeah, I think a team approach is really important. The other thing I'd suggest in terms of GPs and paediatricians is that if you're at all concerned about the information that you're being provided with or the course of action that you've been provided with, there are paediatricians who specialise in continence. So they actually specialise in pooing and weeing issues rather than just general paediatrics. And they can be really great because it, it is an area of specialisation. So they can be really great to, to get a referral There are plenty around Australia who have private clinics as well, but there are many in the public system that a referral can be generated for.
0: Great advice. Now, can I ask you a little bit more about school? Because um, most of the kids that are experiencing a capricious at Quirky Kid are school-aged, and this just adds that extra level of complexity um, because sometimes parents are anxious that they won't be allowed to continue at school or that the teachers are not allowed to you know, change their underwear and things like that. So yeah. there's sometimes extra pressure that like we need to get this under control, otherwise they won't be able to maintain that enrolment. Um, have you heard that, or is it just that some schools are happy to give them access to the you know, teacher's toilet and to give them extra pairs of underwear and wipes and things, or is it just dependent on the school? I, I think schools are like many
1: communities and many organisations where, Schools have great people having bad days who sometimes don't make good decisions. They have not so great teachers having bad days who make even worse decisions. They have great teachers having great days who take great care of our kids. So that's really unfortunate because it means that there is an inconsistent experience that could be had in the same school with the same teacher or in different schools across a, a large. Um, section of the school community, I would be bringing the, the teacher on board the team with a plan to say, this, this is what we are actually working towards. Your role is to support the child to go go to the bathroom, remind them after lunch, half an hour after they've had their lunch, remind them to go and sit, let them out of your class to go and sit on the toilet for five minutes. So to continue that routine of sitting, but engaging the teacher with a plan of how they can help and what they can do, rather than leaving it up to them to make decisions that they might think are good decisions, but may not be the right one for the child in question. So I think that collaborative approach is really important and sometimes tough because You've got to have a hard conversation with the teacher and hope that there is a level of understanding there. But I, I do think most teachers really desperately do want to help their kids to have the best possible
0: outcomes. I agree with you for sure. I think that any child that's having problems with and needs all the help they can get. And often, um, even their peers are, you know, wondering how we can help. You know, shall I, you know, go to the toilet alongside of them with a toilet pass? You know, how can we set up a buddy system? as, just yeah. so, um, you know, need to try and help.
1: That's a great point because I because I think it's for adults. We often think it, I can't imagine anything worse than pooing yourself in public, but for kids, it's it's not as big a deal as as it is adults imagine it to be. So I, I think that peer support, carefully managed, because obviously not all kids are are of that ilk where uh, they would choose to be caring and, and supportive. But carefully managed, I think there's a huge benefit in actually building a peer support around a child who has angioparesis.
0: And I think um, just the idea of carefully managed and um, increasing that sensitivity is really important to start early because I'm just thinking of a family I helped that were a long way away from you know any face-to-face consultation, living in a really remote rural area with this issue and Having to do video calls with like calls dropping in and out, it was quite a challenge to um to maintain rapport with with their teenager who was struggling with this. And in that case, he had just lost all sensitivity to the situation. He was like so not bothered by it, just didn't really want to be on the call. So I think if families are affected by this issue, it's important to get help early. Yeah, um, old habits you know don't sort of take place and and it becomes kids become really complacent. And the thing that I've found most useful is just trying to increase young people's independence around um, toileting, so giving them the baby wipes and the plastic bag to put the, you know, soiled undies in at school so they can start to clean themselves up and have their fresh undies available to them rather than having to ask, you know, someone at the office for a fresh pair. And even at home, like, having everything they need in the laundry to put their um, their underwear in a tub, you know, filled with... Um, you know, some stain remover and just get the action happening so they don't have to hide things and feel like they've yeah. got to ask assistance.
1: I do think too what that does is it empowers them to to have a positive impact in what is essentially I think what they would see as a really negative experience but it gives them some control back because they actually they can't control the fact that they have pooed themselves but then they can control what unfolds after that and I think that's really important for us to be teaching our kids and giving giving our kids that the toolkit
0: to be able to take that responsibility. And also, probably last but not least, but the parent factor. I find some parents are almost in tears when they say, if I have to wash another pair of undies, I can't stand the smell, I throw them all out. You know, this can be really overwhelming for parents when they expect that, you know, toileting issues to be mastered, you know, at the age of three or four And then it's, you know, the kids are up to 13, 14. (laughs) It can just be so overwhelming. So I think like a huge support network for the parents and tag teaming with the cleanup is important. And, yeah, giving them permission to, yes, buy new undies. You don't need to necessarily clean every single pair because um, parents do need what they can get. Otherwise that resentment then trickles down onto the kids and the whole family. Like siblings can blame one kid, say, well, we could go if it wasn't for you. Yeah, so. Yeah, I think it's a whole system that we need to look at.
1: It's really easy as well if a system like that isn't in place. It's really easy for it to become the focus of the whole family. It kind of finds its way into every conversation. It finds its way into, into every bit of planning for the future. So it, it, it's always the elephant in the room, but it's consciously spoken about where everybody in the family is in on that discussion where I think it is, that's not valuable. It is something that will resolve. It is something that for a while needs to be managed until that sensitivity returns and it will return. So if the constipation can be dealt with, the rectum will uh, return to being able to manage that physically. So it's really important that that support is there during the time while that resolution is taking place but to to not have it the focus of everybody's talk everybody's discussion everybody's you know that constant oh my god you know this we've got to deal with this I think is really
0: an important piece of the puzzle too. Yes I agree no shame and best discussed in a confidential setting with experts who deal with this kind of issue all the time. Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much uh, for your conversation today, Monica. It's so good to connect with someone who's dealing with similar things.
1: <laughs> yeah, we. I think a collaborative team approach to being able to support our parents and our and our young ones
0: is getting more and more important every day. Here, here. Thanks, Monica. You're really welcome. Thank you. If you'd like more resources on encapresis, head to the Quirky Kid website and you'll find a million different fact sheets there. And as I mentioned, the most popular one is the encapresis one. You can also check out the webinar I did recently, which has videos on techniques we use in the clinic to address encapresis. For our next episode, we'll be talking about separation anxiety. I'm Dr. Kimberly O'Brien. See you then. Perfect. Look at you. (laughs) You're pro. (laughs)